message tonight, and it's, the title is going to be, How Will You Deal with a Fool? So, you know, about seven years ago, before we turn to the text we're going to read, I managed a baseball team that Thomas played on about seven years ago. So we were in this game where we just had enough players there that if we lost anybody else, we would have to forfeit the game. So I think we were actually winning the game, going into the last inning, and the catcher, who I kind of was having problems with because he's kind of got his iPad thing in while we're playing the game, or iPod listening, I'm like, Chad, you know. But anyways, uh, on the last inning, his, his mother comes and tells him he's got to leave to go to work. And so at the fax center, which is just like right up the road from where we're playing, <laughs> I'm like, it kind of caught me off guard. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, he just literally just took his equipment off right there on the field and, and was walking away. I can't believe it. Believe this. I said, you're, you're going to leave the team? All these players are going to have to forfeit a game? And you, you don't think they could understand at the fact center that you're going to be just a couple minutes late? Go have your mom tell them? And he just, that was it. He was gone. I'll, I'll be honest. I got mad. I got a little bit mad. Now, I didn't scream at him. But I didn't talk real, I mean, I was talking pretty straight to him, let me put it that way. So my, my problem with coaching was, you know, once I got inside that fence, I thought that that was like a sound barrier. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it always seemed that way to me anyways. So the game got over, Lisa came up to me, and uh, she said, you know, if you could have heard yourself, she said, you would have been embarrassed. You know, and that's one of those situations where you're like, <laughs> you know, always fair saying like, buddy, you know, what'd you just do? And I mean, I was embarrassed. And I'll tell you, another reason I was embarrassed was because a lot of these people watching that game, they knew uh, I've been going to the seminary and I have a prison ministry. And here I am, you know, getting all this kid about a baseball thing. So that kind of goes along with this Chinese proverb I found that says, if you're patient, if you are patient in one moment of anger, you will escape a hundred days of sorrow. Now, I didn't quite hold on to that for a 100 days, but I, I did feel bad for a while. So, you know, maybe everybody here, I'm sure you do, has your own story when you get angry when somebody blindsided you. Isn't that usually when it happens? I mean, it's something not expected. And So I think if you pay attention tonight, if we all pay attention, we'll find some instruction from the life. We're going to look at the life of David that will help all of us to deal with really what is one of the most common sins, and that's anger. And if you ever thought about it, you read the Sermon on the Mount, and what's the first two things in Matthew 5 Jesus deals with? The two things that it's a universal problem. Number one is anger. So does anyone in here want to say that they had never gotten angry in their life? I mean, I had a guy come to church here once, and he's not here anymore. This is a while back, and he'd gotten saved. He said, you know, I've never gotten angry in my whole saved life. I said, yeah, you're not married. But, <laughs> and he didn't have a roommate. So sure enough, he gets a roommate, and man, I mean, he's got anger issues that were just, you know, like the seeds and all the weeds in my yard, they just all of a sudden came up from nowhere. But uh, so that's, I think this is something that can help us all out. So if you'll turn to 1 Samuel 25, we'll get started here. 1 Samuel 25. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Samuel 25, and we'll begin in verse 2. And it says, Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. I know we're going to be, we'll read the whole chapter. I know it's quite a few verses, but just hang in there. It's not that many. Take me seven and a half minutes. 
Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had three thousand sheep and a thousand goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. And when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hands so your servants and to, to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. And then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? Well, there are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men whom I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned back on their heels, about face, it's a military term, and went back and they came and told him all these words. And then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. That was just the way David did things. We'll see that later. That's, or we won't see it later, but if you read later, that's what he did. Leave some there and take most with him. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us. And we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. And then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread. You can't find that many loaves of bread in Walmart. I mean, once you make 200 loaves of bread hanging around, two skins of wine, you wouldn't want to eat Walmart's bread if they did have 200 loaves, I'll tell you that. Go to Kroger. Two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill and there were David and his men coming down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. 
Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. And evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you, she's speaking of Saul, and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out as from the pocket of of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you nor offensive heart to my Lord either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. And then David said to Abigail, Oh, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with mine own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore, she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. And so it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. And then it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, "'Blessed be the Lord.'" who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey and attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, so both of them were his wife, wives. But Saul had given Michael his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Gollum. So let's go before the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you'll... Uh, open all of our hearts to your word and help our understanding to see what you have to say. And I just ask you, give us all hearts to receive it. I'd ask you that your anointing would be on me, Lord, that you'll help me to speak your words in the right way and that we'll all be edified and know that you've spoken to us tonight through the Bible you've given us. And I just thank you for doing that for us all here in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're introduced to three characters in this chapter. And David is one, and he's just come from... 
it's first Samuel 24 where Saul he's hiding out in the caves of Jedi, and Saul comes to find him and he you know David could have killed him and he doesn't which is funny in light of this isn't it but he knew not to kill the Lord's anointed but Nabal's not the Lord's anointed so he's having a bit of a struggle with that and the second character we come across is Nabal who is a rich man that's the way he is first described because that is the thing that motivated his life was his riches said he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and then it goes on to say that he was the King James uses the word churlish that means he was a harsh and severe man he's not somebody you probably wanted to work for or be married to which means he was evil in his doings and practice that's what all that word churlish means and Abigail, his wife, though, now this is interesting. With him, it talks about his money and then his character. And you know what it says about Abigail? The first thing it says about her was that she had good understanding, that she was a wise woman. And then the second thing it says about her is that she had a beautiful countenance. Now, most American males, they, they would have put the beauty first, wouldn't they? But not the Bible. Proverbs 31.30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So most American males that aren't Christians, and even a lot of them that are, the first thing they look, because of what they're affected by our culture is, is a woman's looks, isn't it? I'll tell you, I've been on, I'll get on the Drudge Report to look at news, and they'll have these little pop-up things, you know. See what these people look like, you know. The, it's these people in the 70s that were the ones, you know, you think are cute back when you're 17. And see what they look like now that they're in their 60s and 70s. Out of curiosity, you click on that thing, and you're like, wow, what happened to her, you know. And then I look at my wife, and I think, man, I am perfectly happy. What happened to them didn't happen to her. But, I mean, it's just like one after another. You're like, wow. And somebody probably married her because she was cute back then. I'm like, boy, oh, boy, were they good for a surprise, you know. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Now, I didn't name any names. So, anyways, but that's the thing. So, Abigail, the first thing the Bible says about her was that she was a woman of good understanding. And that's really, guys, that's really what you want. I mean, I'm not going to get into that sermon again. <laughs> Ten camels in a thigh and all that. But... Well, we look over here in verse 4, and David, it says, he hears in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. And David had been a shepherd, so he knew the customs of the day. He knew what was going on. And sheep shearing, that was a festival. That was a festive time of year, a time of generosity, the time to celebrate and eat and drink. So he sends 10 of his young men to Nabal to request some provision. And they're to greet Nabal in David's name. And the first word there, that it's translated peace, but it's really the word shalom. And he says to greet them first, peace, shalom to you, shalom to your house, and shalom to all you own. He was a rich man. And he explains how his men had neither stolen anything when they were out in that wilderness, but instead they protected the flocks. And Nabal's servants confirmed that very word. It says that, look in verse 15 and 16. They said, but the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt. Neither miss we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us, <clears throat> both by night and day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. 
So David makes a polite, he just makes a polite and courteous, you know how they are in the Middle East, they just don't get right to the point like people from the north do. He just makes a nice roundabout courteous request for Nabal to give him some provision. And he's expecting some food. He just says, whatever comes to thy hand. He doesn't even demand, demand a certain amount, does he? Expecting some food. And Nabal does what? He answers roughly to his servants and shows his contempt for David. Now, one reason why that is is because Saul is the one had recaptured Carmel, Carmel from the Amalekites. And he kind of set Nabal up. So Nabal, that's where his loyalty is. But he's like, who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? Just saying it in a contemptuous way. Well, he knew who he was. But he calls him, it's a derogatory thing, calls him a slave. He said he's just a runaway slave. Why do I have to give him anything? And you look in verse 11, and he uses I and my seven times. My bread, my water, my flesh that I have killed for my shears and gave it unto men whom I know not whence they be. He's not even going to give them the basics of just bread and water, even though they've helped him out. So up until, even up until recent times, it still goes on. If an Arab chief gave protection to somebody that was a wealthy sheep owner to his cattle and gave him protection from their marauding bands or wild animals, then the protection called for a claim of some kind of tribute that was given. Supply of food and necessities. And usually it was given with like goodwill. You didn't have to ask for it even. They're giving it out of goodwill and glad to do it. But when they were said, hey, we're not giving you anything, then it became something that was enforced as a right. They didn't just take no for an answer back then. So that refusal of Nabal to give David anything for what he had done, and his servants acknowledged it, that it had happened, uh, that was a violation of established practices. It'd kind of be like, you go in a restaurant, well, we're not required to give tips to waiters. But are you the person that doesn't give somebody that's just busted themselves waiting your table? You don't give them anything? You know, that's what it would be like. So we're not required to give any kind of tip, are we? There's no law about it. But just out of generosity, when someone has served you and all that, you got to give them at least 20%. If you're going to give them a track, you better give them 20%. <laughs> you're not going to get very far with that track. But here, David's man, he just abuses them by what he says, Nabal does. And his men, they don't argue with Nabal. They don't attack Nabal. It's like I said when I read it, it said they just turned around. They just did an about face. All right, sir, that's the way you're going to be. We'll just go back and tell our master what you said. And that's what they do. And David, I'll tell you what, he's kind of blindsided. He really is. I believe he is, just kind of like I was on the baseball field. He wasn't expecting that. And what is it that usually you think about it? Those of us that have been angry, what, what is it that usually gets you angry, right? It's usually like when someone has not shown you the respect that you think you deserve, right? Or they haven't dealt with you fairly. And part of that is we are made in the image of God, are we not? Yes, we are. We all know that, right? And part of the image of God is we know that things should be just and fair, right? And so when they're not, when we're not dealt with, even though sometimes we may be wrong about it, but we may be right, in this case, David was not dealt with justly or fairly. We get offended. And it's kind of in our DNA, if you want to put it that way, built in the image of God. But here's the thing. <laughs> in this world, justice and fair play are not the game that the devil's children play by. And he's called a son of Belial. 
So, you know, we've got to ask ourselves, won't you wonder, why don't people recognize who I am? And <laughs> give me the respect I deserve. Isn't that what happens to people? Uh, we get upset because pride, I think, is a big source of anger. You know, don't you know who I am? So David, in this verse, in this chapter, we're dealing with a common occurrence for all of us, right? It's, it's a practical thing we have to deal with, being wronged in life. Or who hasn't had a business dealing? we got a lot of self-employed people where somebody hasn't taken advantage of you and ripped you off. I mean, if you've been in business for two years, it's happened to you. And it's really hard to deal with, isn't it? it always, that's the thing for me. When I feel like somebody's done me, really done me wrong, it is just really hard to just eat it and just keep your mouth quiet, isn't it? And not make a big deal about it. So it's kind of the Rodney Dangerfield, I don't get any respect, syndrome that everyone has to deal with. So David is a man, isn't he? Even though he's a man after God's own heart, but he's a man just like us, isn't he? And what's his instant reaction to what happened? It's anger. Was he? He's like, he doesn't hesitate. Gird on. Y'all, get your sword on. I'm getting mine on, and we're going to deal with this guy, like right now. And he takes off. So look in verses 21 and 22. That's what he says. Now, David has said, surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him. And he's requited me evil for good. And here, 22, he's going to do him in. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David if I leave of all that pertain to him by the morning light any that urinates, the King James says, against the wall. So here's the thing. Uh, David is a passionate man. So, you know, some people are a little more laid back about things happening to him than other people. But David is just a passionate man, and that can be a good thing. And we have another passionate man in the Bible that's pretty well known in the New Testament, Peter. And what's Peter's thing? He's taking that sword, too, and he's ready to cut off that guy's ear to defend Jesus, right? And Peter's another one that had to have his passions checked. So people that tend to be passionate and go off and all that, they need to be praised. But what does God have to say about passionate anger? Anger that's just right there, ready to manifest itself. Does he praise it? It says in Proverbs 14, 7, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Proverbs 29, 22 says, an angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgressions. I mean, does anyone, maybe I, I looked, but has anyone found the verse that says, blessed is he that stirs up strife? Blessed is he that is soon angry. <clears throat> you know, when has peace ever been a result of anger? When has peace ever come as a result of anger? Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not be eager in your heart to be angry. Don't be quick to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Nables. Anger resides in the bosom of nables. Fools. So, what we want to ask is... If you're like me, it's like, well, how then can I deal with my anger? Now, I really, I really, that's something I struggle with, a person says, and I just really want to be delivered from it. You know, what, what help can I have? Well, Abigail, good old Abigail, where is Abigail? Abigail shows us the way. 
And the first thing she shows us is we need to recognize that we need God's grace to overcome anger. Look in verses 32 and 33 here. She comes to David and stops him in his tracks, doesn't she? Because he is on his way to shed blood and innocent blood. In verse 32, David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou which hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hand. So I would say it's right there, open book test. Who sent Abigail to David? Yeah, the Lord. God did, didn't he? And this is God's grace in action. Right here, we're seeing it. So David, he had murder in his heart, didn't he? Except for what? God's grace. That's the only thing that can take murder out of our heart and anger. It's not going to be us. We just decide, man, I'm going to quit being an angry person. I'm going to go get some therapy. I'm going to get some books from the library. That's not the way it works. I mean, it's literally, it's the spirit of God. That's the way it's going to happen. And so look here, look at David. He says, so we already read it in verse 22. He's like, God do more to me. And also, if I don't kill these people, all of them, I'm having no mercy. He is hot. That's what you say when you're hot, right? You don't care who you kill or who's in your way. You're just road rage, they call it, right? So you say, well, you know, (laughs) these times I'm getting angry. I wish I had somebody like Abigail come up to me and talk to me. Well, guess what? She just did. We just read it, didn't we? Do you need a personal appearance to hear the wisdom that she had? But how does God help send help to keep us from sin? How does he? And I'll tell you, honestly, I, I, I do this at times, but I really, I, it's something that needs to be done every day. I'm, I mean, I preach to myself as more than anyone else. But Luke 11.4 says this, part of the quote-unquote Lord's Prayer. How does God keep us from situations where we're going to sin against him in anger in an unexpected way. Like I said, that's typically when it happens. You don't usually plan on getting mad. I'm I'm planning on blowing up today at about noon. (laughs) I'm just going to find somebody to get mad at. But Luke 11, 4 says, and lead us not. This is what we should be praying. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So it's not automatic, is it? But it's, that's how the grace of God operates is through our prayers and praying that and believing that he'll do that for us. Which isn't that what happened? Didn't God deliver David from evil he was getting ready to do? I mean, he really did. We need to pray that every day. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil that we might do in our flesh. Nothing that's planned. So give us a word maybe when we get up in the morning and this is where, hey, if we're not spending time in the word and prayer, how's all this going to work? How, you know, how many times do we get up and something happens and you get in a hurry and you're going out about your day and you have no intention of doing anything wrong and then bam, something hits you and you're just not ready for it and you just sinned and you can repent and all, but it's just like, wow, that's just not the best way for us all to start our day, is it? So we need to pray that and pray and God can do it. Like in our devotion, something we read, something when we pray. It could be a friend. You don't know. God can send a friend your way because you prayed that prayer. That'll give you a word. That happens all the time, doesn't it? It should happen to us. Or something, the, uh, the heart, uh, Holy Spirit convict our heart. But what we need to do, though, is pray that God deliver us from evil. And that we don't do something we regret later like David was about to do. And we need that grace. How often do we need it? 
What did David say? God sent you this day. We need that grace from the Lord to overcome every day because yesterday's grace will not overcome today's trial. That's why they have the song, I need thee every hour. Every hour of our life, we need to be looking to the Lord to help us out, right? But if we get in a trial where we're tempted to be angry, that's, it's not over with. Even if you have the feelings there, feelings of fear and feelings of anger because all of a sudden somebody just did something to you does not mean you have sinned. It's when you give in and you react to that. And then you base your actions on how you're feeling, right? Because Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So believe me, I'm not the hero of overcoming anger, but I did have a time one time where I was working for somebody. Now, Nabal, his name was fool, and he was a fool. This person had a name. We'll say her name was Happy. She was not very happy, generally. <laughs> and a customer I worked for. Well, anyways, uh, I was working at her house, and she was convinced that uh, some chemical I had put on her house, paint, had caused her to break out in hives. And I was like, well, I don't know how that's even possible, but... She was convinced, and she would not let up. And, I mean, she is railing on me, I mean, literally. And I was, I'll tell you, I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, Mrs. Happy, if this had been about a few years back before I got saved, I think I might have thought seriously about picking you up and throwing you down in your ravine because, I mean, this is ridiculous. It was, it was ridiculous. You'd have had to been there. And a, it was the kind of voice that just grates on you. But... I did, at this one time, anyways, I can say, I did, I prayed, I just said, God, I need your help, and I did, because my feelings were not there at all, but I'm like, I need your help, and I'm praying in the Spirit, and please help me, Lord, and I need you to work in this situation, and another scripture comes to me while I'm doing that, that, you know, well, you need to do good to those that, and all that, I'm like, okay, and I knew she needed her trash taken out of the street, God, I just need the grace that I will take her trash can down to the street and be nice to her. Because I didn't feel like being nice. Honestly, I didn't. And all I can say is that next thing you know, she comes up to me a little bit later. And, John, I'm sorry, but the doctor said and it was some medication she'd taken. I just apologized and all that. And I thought, well, all I can say is I'm glad I didn't lose it. Because at least I had a testimony, you know. I mean, I wouldn't have had a testimony if I'd lost it with her, even if she would have found out it was the doctor and her medication and not my pain. So anyways, but the, but the point is we need God's grace in our lives to overcome anger, don't we? We really do. That's the point. And it's going to be through the Holy Spirit. And the second thing is we need to recognize is as long as we're in this world, there are always going to be nables or fools to test you. We've got to accept that fact. I mean, we live over in our neighborhood. It's what we call, we call them non-drivers. They're people that can't drive. They cut you off. They, I mean, because most of the people over there, they're rich and 80, and they, they got nice cars, but they can't drive. I'm saying those people are everywhere, and we were just on vacation. I mean, they're all over the whole world. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if that kind of stuff doesn't get you upset, I mean, they're everywhere. So we just need to accept the fact that non-drivers and people like that are everywhere, and there's always going to be people that tell lies about you, that present things that aren't true about you, that do you wrong. They don't give you the respect you deserve, but really, how much respect do we deserve, really, honestly? And people that speak evil of you for whatever reason, because you're a Christian, they just don't like you, but they distort things about you, and you know what's going on, and there's a temptation, isn't there, 
like you're the only one that's being picked on that way because that's the way it seems. The temptation to get angry about all that. But you're going to have people cross your path, like I said, until you're either raptured or dead from here on out. That's a guarantee. But we can't let them get under our skin, can we? We really can't. Not scripturally, we can't. Look at verse 25. So here we're back to Abigail. She's got all the wisdom in this book. And here's what she tells David. So we're saying we can't let it get under your skin. And that's what she tells David. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, don't regard this man of Belial, even the fool. So somebody may be treating you and you just got to realize they're just acting like a fool. It has no, it's no reflection on me. So don't let it get under your skin. That's what she's telling David. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with them, him. But I thine hand made sought not. She says, I didn't see what happened. But don't let this guy get you all upset. He's a fool. So we can't let people that we think are fools or treating us foolishly or evil get us all upset, right? It's part of what we need to see. So if you would, we're gonna, if you could just put something there in 1 Samuel and turn over to Proverbs 19. I do want to look at these two verses in light of letting people getting under your skin. Proverbs 19.11. We're going to look at that in Proverbs 23. So Proverbs 19.11 says this, the discretion, or it could be said the good sense, the prudence, the insight, or the understanding. That's what all that word can mean. The discretion, the good sense, of a man will defer his anger, and it is his glory. You know what the word there, glory, means? It's his boast. It's his boast to pass over a transgression. So it's a good thing when you know somebody's doing you wrong, and even if you know that they know you're doing them wrong, that you just take it. That's what it's saying there. And look in twenty, chapter 20, verse 3. It is an honor, an honor for a man to cease from strife. But every nabel or fool will be meddling. So how many of us, that is not our culture we're raised in, is it? To cease from strife when someone's giving you a hard way to go. Our culture says that's not honor, you're weak. But what does God say? God says it's an honor to cease from strife in his eyes. Who else do we know that had the good sense, the insight, and the understanding to overlook a transgression against himself? The Lord Jesus Christ, didn't he? Man, if anybody had a right that was being done wrong and injustice that could have lost it, it would have been him. But he didn't. Instead, we read in 1 Peter 2, he says, who when he was reviled, just like David and his men were, he didn't act like David, did he? So is David the man we follow in some things? But Jesus is the one we follow, right? He's the standard. He never sinned. But when he was reviled, the Bible says he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. And I've thought about this. The times I've gotten upset, I thought, really, every time I've gotten upset, you know what it is? It's a lack of faith. And that's what Jesus exercised faith. He said, I'm committing all of what's happening to me to God, God the Father. He'll make it all work out. This is his plan. 
You know, I think, man, you could just keep that in mind, you know. It's just, man, something happens, and there you are in the heat of the man. You forget all that. It's easy to forget it, isn't it? It really is. First Peter 4 says, if you are reproached. So remember we said it's an honor to overlook a transgression. In First Peter 4, he's talking to us. He says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is evil speaking of, spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. So he's saying when we're being treated badly and suffer for whatever reason and we take it, he's saying that brings glory to God. We glorify God through that. And the spirit of God, it says, rest on us. So we need to remember when we're eating humble pie and we're not acting like Clint Eastwood, the enforcer, you know, we're going to blow people away that give us a hard time. And that's the culture we're in. That's the movies everybody likes to watch. The John Wayne, the Clint Eastwoods. They don't take anything from anybody. And they always have a cool way of doing away their enemies, you know. Just out of nowhere, he's got a rope hanging down. And he's hung some guy. He's like, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, not really. Not biblically. Because he's, he's seeking vengeance. Hang him high in all those old movies, right? But God's looking down when we take it and it's against the culture and it's against our natural instincts. And he's boasting about Look at my child's doing down there, overcoming by my grace and by my spirit. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 25. And the third thing I want to see here is we need to see that anger causes grief. If we react in anger, we can cause grief in a bad way. Look in verse 26. And it says this, Now therefore, my Lord, Abigail again, as my as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord has withholding you from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand. Now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my be as seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. So that was not a good thing that he was going to avenge himself with his own hand. And look in verse thirty one. She says this to him, and this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. Because she's saying, hey, if you'd have gone on and done what you had done, and when you became king, you're going to have that innocent blood on your record. So that's what can happen when we react in a rash way. We can call things to be on our record that we just wish weren't there. So, you know, Alexander the Great was great. He was very energetic, versatile, and intelligent. And from what I read, man, he sat under Aristotle. So, you know, he had all that philosophy in him. Typically, he wasn't someone that got angry, so they say. But a couple times, his reacting in anger caused some really severe consequences, which is what we're talking about. Anger can really cause grief in your life that doesn't go away. So one time, he had this dear friend of his. They'd been friends since childhood, a general. And he got drunk. And he's sitting there with Alexander and all of these soldiers. And he starts making insults about Alexander in front of all these men. And Alexander, he got ticked off about the whole thing. So he picks up this spear, and he throws that thing at his general. And he only meant to scare him. But he was just too good a soldier. And he killed us, killed his friend. It was his childhood friend. Killed him with that spear. And I'll tell you, he was so remorseful, it says, about that, that he tried to take that same spear and kill himself. 
but his soldiers stopped him from doing it. And for days, he just lay. He was sick, sick with grief that he'd killed his friend, and he'd call out his friend's name and confess that he was a murderer. And he had to live with that the rest of his life that wasn't that long. Didn't live to be a very old man. So Alexander the Great, he never lost a military campaign in all of his days and conquered most of the then-known world. Never lost a military campaign. They, they study his strategies to this day, right? But you know what he didn't conquer? His own spirit. And it says this in Proverbs 16:32: He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. That's saying a lot, isn't it? We can control our anger and the things that provoke us sometimes on a daily basis. We're greater than the greatest general. That's what God says. So that's the thing we need to think about is that people, why do divorces happen? Because couples get angry and they start saying things that they don't mean and they just go at it. And a lot of times it ends up in divorce. So we're saying we need to see that anger can cause grief. And children are hurt. Or you have friendships, you know, two people that have been friends all their lives. They get in an argument and they never speak again. It happens all the time. It shouldn't happen with us here. Friendships can be ruined. Or, you know, if you're, you know, people that you know, tell me this isn't true. You know somebody's like so touchy that they're ready to blow up all the time. What do you do? You just kind of tend to avoid them. Well, that makes it a little hard for ministry. You know, you minister to people and they don't want to be around you because you're kind of a hothead. But here's the thing, too. We, we need, don't we? And I think really in the days coming ahead, we need to have consciences that are clear of guilt. The guilt of angry responses. Because when trials come and you, that comes back up, the same devil that provoked you to react in anger to somebody is the same one that's going to bring that right up to you when you're in the midst of a trial. You're just nothing but a hothead. Who are you to ask God to heal you, to do whatever you need him to do for you, right? You don't even try to overcome. You just give in when someone does something. You just let them have it. And your conscience is telling you that's right. And so that's a good reason that we need. That's a grief we don't need to have in our lives, right? You know, I spoke to one of my daughters recently. I won't say which one. They probably both think they're candidates. And, you know, what I said might have been right, but the way I said it was wrong. And I didn't yell, but I didn't. I, I, and I felt terrible when it was over. I really did. And I felt guilty about it. And I, I, I repented to the Lord. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. So, you know, a lot of times we love our kids and we see the pitfalls we think they're headed towards, you know, and you say things and it just may not come out the way you intended it to, right? I know that happens with a lot of us. But here's the thing. We're back to faith, aren't we? We got to just trust that if we just say it, that the Lord's going to work things out, right? And instead, you know, with me, I felt like I got to put a little emphasis on it. But then it just comes out wrong. So, the other thing is the consequences is that we can be taking the vengeance that belongs to God if we seek vengeance and anger against somebody. Because what is Romans 12? We know that. What does it say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. It's not ours to mete out. It is not ours to mete out no matter what has been done to us, is it? Because what what's our responsibility and our only responsibility is to feed, give water, to help those that are our enemies and let God take care of all the rest. 
Because isn't that what David ends up doing? He doesn't execute the vengeance, and it was a good thing. Had to leave it in God's hands. Because Proverbs 20.22 says, Do not say, I will repay evil. And here's where faith comes in. It goes on, do not re- I will repay evil. Do not say that, but wait for the Lord, and he will save you. So you think you got to jump in there and let this guy have it and make sure everything's... He says, no, you don't have to do that. Wait on God. Let him take care of the situation. Because here's the thing. Here's what we don't know. Now, most of us aren't going to murder somebody, but this person that just seems to be doing you an injury or doing your family an injury, and it may come to physical things he's doing, persecution, putting you in jail or killing you. Well, guess who did that in the Bible? Saul. So was it up to those early Christians to take his life to get rid of their persecution? You know, today it'd be, you come old Saul, Saul comes to my house, I'm pulling out my Colt 45, just took care of him. But hey, what did God had plans for Saul, didn't Paul? Saul, Paul. That's who I'm talking about, the Apostle Paul. So whose business is it to kill him and get rid of this persecutor? It's not ours, is it? I mean, down at the seminary, buddy, they get airloaded for bears. Somebody comes in that chapel to bring any persecution, they won't last two seconds. They're, they got armed people everywhere, literally. They got snipers in the balcony. They got guns. They're going to kill them. And what if that would have been Paul coming in to drag somebody? That's what he did, didn't he? Going to synagogues and dragging off Christians and people out of their houses at their home churches. Isn't that what he did? I think so. But he may want to judge the person too, like Nabal. Nabal gets judged. Herod got judged, didn't he? But who judged him? <laughs> the Lord did. So it's God's decision, isn't it? Not ours, on who gets vengeance and when. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It's not up to us. But what's David's response to Abigail? I mean, he has this woman come. and I mean, she is this, the epitome of humility, though, isn't she? And the way she comes about the whole thing bowing to the ground. She takes her husband's sin as being her own sin. So some, you can read that and say what she calls him a fool and all that. She's, not, she's watching out for her husband, really. But she has to be very careful about how she plays this whole thing out. And she didn't say anything about Nabal that wasn't true, her husband. And she actually saved his life. But what's David's response? That he's like, man, I hate loud, aggressive women. Trying to tell me what to do. Is that what David said? No, he blesses the advice she's given him. And he blesses her for coming and stopping him. So, I mean, that's just the way it is with wives, I think, and men. I I remember way back when, this has been years back, I was getting ready to preach a sermon and I practiced it on my wife. And I said, said, that ain't going to work. That's going to come across her. I said, you know, you're right. And I had like a day to get something ready, which back then that was like, oh, that was a nightmare for me back then. But that's what should happen. I mean, as a man, you can't have this attitude. I'm not listening to my wife. And the wife has to have a way of presenting things that the man can receive it. She really wasn't in his face at all, was she? She's bowing down, calling him their Lord. She says, I, and later on when he wants to marry her, she's like, I'll be happy just to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. That's the lowest of the low. She's, she's a very humble person. And David tells her to go in peace. And that is a righteous response to correction, isn't it? A born-again response. Not He didn't get all upset about being corrected, did he? 
Proverbs 12 says this, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Even if it's your children, you've got to listen. Or your enemy. Proverbs 25 says, As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. So someone that's born again, they'll recognize wise reproof and they'll give heed to it. And it'll be good for them, right? But could Abigail speak to that fool, Nabal? She couldn't speak to him. Look, verse 17. Look what it says there. Now, therefore, know and consider what that will do for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. No one could speak to Nabal. He's married to a very wise woman that could have helped him out in a lot of ways, right? And he, she knows. She didn't even bother talking to him. That's what it said. She just went on and took things, had to take things in her own hand because she knew her husband wasn't going to listen to the things she had to say, no matter how wise it was. But David would listen. But Nabal is what? What is, what is a person that will not listen to wise counsel? A fool. Isn't he? Or she? Whoever it is? Proverbs 9 says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. That's what we're seeing right here in this passage, aren't we? So I would say, how do you receive correction, or I receive correction, like a scorner or a wise man? So the story goes on. David receives all that Abigail's brought, and she brought a ton way more than he really needed. And she brought him things like figs and raisins, things that would last a while, not just that they could consume now. And so she's blessing him in the long run with what she brought. So Abigail waits the next day till they got a party going on that night. She's like, I'm not talking to this man when he's drunk. You know, drunk and drinking brings out anger, doesn't it? And he's probably, that's probably when he's at his prime and his anger when he's drunk. So the next day she waits, it says, till all the liquor's out of him till he's sobered up. And she tells him of his encounter with David. And what did we talk about at the beginning? What was Nabal's big motivation in life? It was all the stuff he had. He didn't want to give any of it away. And so more than likely when he hears how much she gave him, that's just more than this guy could handle. Because he wasn't going to give him a drop. Says his heart turned to stone. So you got different interpretations of what that means, whether it's just a figure of speech or whether he had a stroke. But nonetheless, it's just a few days later, and he dies. A week later, he dies. And David takes Abigail to be his wife, which brings me to my last thought of what I want to get out of all this. We see the reward of the fool and the reward of the righteous. So the fool's reward, we see that in verse 38. And it came to pass about ten days after that the Lord spoke, smote Nabal that he died. That's his reward for being a fool. Proverbs 1 says, The prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Proverbs 10 says, Fools die for a lack of wisdom. Proverbs 18.7 says, A fool's mouth is his ruin. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lip brings, lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. But let me ask you this. How would you like this to be the engraving on your st- tombstone? A fool's mouth is his ruin. 
How would you like that? All because you couldn't control your anger. Your temper. Look in verse 39. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail. So that's what happened, right? Psalm 58 says this, The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. Not his vengeance, but the vengeance of God. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judges in the earth. The wicked will be judged. Well, what about the reward of the righteous? What was David's reward? He got the best thing. You know what he got? What was his reward? Abigail. He got Abigail. And you say, well, he just married her because she was good looking. I don't think so. I really don't. Look in verses 39 to 42. It says this, And David heard that Nabal was dead. He said, Blessed be the Lord that has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his head. And God sent and communed with Abigail to take him to her wife. And when the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, they spoke unto her, saying, David has sent us unto thee to take thee to him to wife. And she arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hasted and arose and rode upon an ass with five damsels hers that went after her, and she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. So what was Abigail? I'm about done. I'll I'm about done. She was a female, wasn't she, that was full of wisdom. And she points to the wisdom that's in Proverbs. Because if you read, and we won't, but if you look at Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is personified as what? A woman. It's called she. And you look in Proverbs 9, it says the same thing. Wisdom is called she. So you can just listen, or if you want to turn to Proverbs 31... This is what it says about a woman of wisdom. This should have been for Mother's Day right here. Proverbs 31, it says this in verses 10 to 12. Who can find a virtuous woman? Which this is what I think David thought he found, not a beautiful woman. For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. And that's what David was getting. A woman that was going to do, he saw that, that would do him good and not evil all the days of his life. Look in verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. And look in verse 30. Favor is, we read this earlier, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And that describes Abigail. And guess what? David became one flesh with her. And in that, guess what he had? He had her wisdom, didn't he? And as Christians, who have we become one flesh with? What does it say in Ephesians 5? The Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, He has made unto us, and one of the things it says, He has made unto us wisdom. 
that we've got the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one we're united to within us, right? And James 1 says this, that if we will ask God, if we lack wisdom in any area, including how to overcome anger, all we need to do is what? Ask. And it says he won't get on your case. It's like, Lord, I just don't know how to deal with this situation. It's getting me upset. And the same thing keeps happening. And I really just want you to show me what can I do about this? How do I can I deal with this in a righteous way? And he says, I'll show you. I won't upbraid you. He'll give you all the wisdom you need. So to sum it up, what will a wise man do who wants to overcome anger? And the first thing that we just talked about, I think he'll pray to God to give him wisdom and how to deal with situations he's in. The other thing I think would be a good thing is to go back and read. 1 Samuel 25, and see that we need God's grace on a daily basis, right? And know that there are always going to be fools in our lives coming our way to get us upset. And that if we get angry and lose it, and we haven't spent time getting ready for what might come our way, it can cause grief in our life that may be there forever, as long as we live. may have to live with it that long, I don't know. The other thing would be, to meditate on the anger passages in Proverbs because there's many of them there. Memorize them. Meditate on them if that's a problem you have. And put it all into practice by the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when you see that you're overcoming, give glory to God for what he's done in your life, the grace and growth that he's given you in your life. That's the best way to deal with it all. And that's what I think we got out of chapter 25. Now, there may be more there. I'm sure there is, but that's what we said tonight. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you've given us this chapter, this example in the life of David and, and how we can learn through the wisdom of Abigail how to deal with anger in our lives and the consequences if we give into it, but also, Lord, you've given us ways to see practical ways of how we can overcome the thing that is just a daily occurrence, something that we all have to struggle with, the temptation so we just thank you for this word you've given us. I just ask that you'll help us all to remember it in the days to come and to be able to put it into practice. And we just thank you for this time you've given us here together to hear your word and to fellowship and to praise you. And we just thank you for your presence with us. And we just do all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you all can stand up. And since there's nobody up, I'm not going to sing. So... Everybody just wants to shake somebody's hand, greet somebody, and greet one another, then you're dismissed. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Got hands up here. Yes. That's that announcement we were all waiting for, so <laughs> nobody should forget that now. There we go. Does somebody else have a hand up? I'm sorry. That was it. Okay. All right. Well, you're all dismissed. Praise the Lord. <laughs>